He is none other than Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I've been bringing a piece of candy for you to look at. You might be able to taste it later, too. <laughs> Will Ferrell. I also ran into John Elway in the bathroom. He could have he given me a forearm shiver there. <laughs> Could have rammed my head. Long snapping expert Adam Carolla. We don't call ourselves long snapping what? expert. What do we We're, call ourselves? You just say black belt. You don't say black belt <laughs> karate expert. Black belt says it all. Matthew Perry. Our casting director said, "What about Nick Jonas? He's a pretty good actor." And I said, "Okay, great. Someone tell me who he is." <laughs> I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Presented by Papa John's, here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Papa John's. Less than a month to go until the NFL draft. Lots of intrigue, as always, with pro days wrapping up, private workouts going on left and right, and then who knows what is going on inside every single building across the NFL in the midst of a lockout trying to get ready for an NFL draft. It's a brave new world that we're in right now. So we've got uh, two very brave former head coaches, part of the NFL Network family, joining me here for the first time, both on the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Papa John's. Brian Billick, Super Bowl winning head coach from the Baltimore Ravens. Good to see you here, sir. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate Thank it. you for having me. You bet. And uh, Jim Mora, you're not the first Mora who's appeared no. on this podcast. I've got a lot to live up to, don't I? If I had ever told you Jim Mora, that your dad would appear on a podcast before you. What would you... What would I you wouldn't have believed it, but he's become kind of a computer guy and an internet guy. Is that yeah. right? Oh, yeah. He's uh, he's right out in the digital world right now. <laughs> Is he Photoshopping stuff for the grandkids? Uh, doing you know that what? Sort of he, thing? He's, he's, that you'd far you'd that? be surprised for a, for a guy his age, mm-hmm. as technologically... Technologically advanced as he, he is, is. No, you'd no, be no. very surprised. Well, I mean, and, and Brian, I had his dad on for uh, the week before the Combine because, not talk Combine, talk Oscars because, you know, the Oscars is the Sunday of Combine Sunday every year. I don't know if the, <laughs> if the Oscar people are aware that that's the cross-section that we, we see every year. But uh, his dad, his dad. Nailed it. Almost, almost. Oh. He was a little too attached to the social network. Well, yeah, he did get attached to the social network. And I, I don't know that, that uh, he was a big King Speech fan. He wasn't. And I tried to tell him all along that was the winner. That was the, and, I saw the King Speech tidal wave coming a long way away. Yeah, now he, you know, uh, football was his job, but I think movies are his passion, Rich. It's fantastic. Now the question is, is he better than Mooch? Oh, no question about it. Because Steve admitted full, flat out. He never I, sees the movies. I read him all ten films that were up for Best Picture. Hadn't seen one. One by one, asked him if he saw. Hadn't seen one. He said no ten straight times. But well, it's still handicapped. When he my does. dad started going to foreign films, I yeah. knew that he was oh serious about this thing. And sitting in there and reading them. And I think what happened is, is his ear, as his oh, hearing man. started to go, he gravitated <laughs> more to the foreign films where he could actually read the dialogue. And, and I told him about my concept about uh Dropping in some raisinets in the popcorn. Oh, I yeah. haven't heard that one. You got, it, uh, he oh, no, no, you got to go East Coast. Obey. Is that what it is? Try some Obey on your popcorn. Yeah. That's, I know it's East Coast thing, but pretty good. I like that. Try that. Is that a Baltimore thing? Oh, yeah. It's on the craps, which you put on craps. It's a seasoned mix. Okay. Get a little Obey, put it in the pot. I have popcorn every afternoon. It's kind of like, like my 4 o'clock snack. Mm-hmm. A little Obey on there, very Eastern Are you going to go Utz potato chips on me as well? That's, no, that, no, that, no, no, that, no. That's, that's, that's a mid-Atlantic sort is of it? chip, is, is it? it? Yeah, it is. That. It no, is. no, I go with the popcorn and the Obey. I like it. Yeah, your dad didn't. He was totally thrown off by the whole concept of chocolate and, and uh 
popcorn together. What, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> chocolate and popcorn? What, what, do you, what do you mean? Yeah, it sounds there's just popcorn like your dad. and then there's chocolate. You channeled your dad. Yeah. Oh, let's talk draft. Let's talk draft right now. Which do you think is the deepest position, Brian Billick, from what you've seen so far? You know, it's interesting. Everybody keeps coming back to the defensive line, both mm-hmm. the tackles and the defensive ends, but they're getting beat up a little bit right now. There's, as is typical, uh, as all these guys were going to be pushed up into it, mm-hmm. uh, but whether it's Bowers, whether it's Quinn, whether it's Farley's work ethic, they're all taking on a little bit of water right now. Uh, but clearly, I think maybe the best value yes. might be along the offensive line because I think they might get pushed back behind some of these defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're in the 20s, you might end up with a pretty good offensive lineman. Because every year you normally hear tackles are going right. to go. Remember a couple of years ago, I think five tackles went in the top 10 or even the top eight. Uh, one year, you normally that, that those are those are premium guys, but maybe not so much this year. Well, tackles protect the most valuable asset on the field, the yes. quarterback, and right. you know, tackles, cornerbacks, guys that can rush the passer, right. guys that have an impact on every single play. Those are the guys that, as an organization, you're typically looking for. Uh, I agree with Brian. I think defensive line and offensive line are the two premium positions. What happens this time of the year, every year, is that the over analysis starts, yeah. and uh, you start talking about what guys can't do rather than what guys can do. And then as you sneak closer to the draft, it comes back around, okay, this guy can do this. He fits the profile of what we're looking for at this position. You get hot on him. And what drives me nuts is just what Jim's saying. You go through your readings and your analysis Mm -hmm. with the coaches and the scouts, and now when it gets getting closer now to where you're actually going to make a pick, everybody kind of goes loose on you because it's, well, then they start throwing in the qualifiers. Well, this guy has a hangnail. Well, this guy... Doesn't like movies. Well, this guy had, you know, so that if it, even though they've been up there pounding the table, oh, we got to take this guy, he's going to be good. Then if you take him and he doesn't turn out, they can go, well, I did tell you now. Plausible deniability. Exactly right. There's right a lot, that's a good term for it. There's a lot of, yeah, cover your what your backside. Yeah. Uh, just so even though I've been pounding away and I love this guy, now you throw in. And so a guy begins to take on a little water. Well, I'm just trying to sense what you're, you guys are saying right now, because obviously you've been in draft rooms for uh, more than most people. Uh, would you would you advocate stepping away for a few days? Would you advocate that? I know no, you would not, because if you're it, saying that you're overthinking now, well, what you're happens, overanalyzing. Well, what Brian's saying is this, is that uh, – you know, you come into the room with a lot of conviction, all right? Mm-hmm. But when they ask you to jump up on the table for a guy, it's tough for some people to do that because they're trying to protect their position. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just like coaches, scouts are evaluated after the draft every year. Uh, you know, were they complete in their analysis of players? Did they rank them the right way? And like Brian said, they want to add qualifiers so that if a guy is a bust down the road, they can say, well, you know, I told you he had this, but... You know, we knew this about him, and it, it's just – I think it's hard sometimes for scouts to jump on the table for a guy. I've always found it easier for coaches to jump on the table for a guy and say, give me that guy. I want him. I want to work with him. I want to put my hands on him. I want to see if I can And that drives him. the scouts nuts because they always feel like coaches fall in love with guys, mm-hmm. that they don't look at the full realm of players because as coaches you don't have the time to look at it the same way right. the scouts do. I always did something that I thought was a little interesting. But about this time, usually probably another week or so, you get through your final set of readings uh, and then you, you set your board. And that's a cumulative board. And obviously in our case, Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta would set up the top 150. 
And then I would sequester my coaches. And I'd say, okay, we're going to put our own 150 together. And it wasn't as a, okay, we're going to put our 150, and if it, ours turns out better right. than yours. But it wasn't to second guess. What I wanted to do was have the two lists. And if the scouts or the main board had a guy at 25, and the coaches had him at 20 or 30. Well, okay, that's a margin. I, I'm, I'm good with that. What I want to re-talk, I want to get everybody back together. If we got a guy on one list at 20 and the other guy's at 40 mm-hmm. or 45, oh, wait a minute now, Some, somebody's missing something here. I want to hear the discussion about these two guys. And it may only be three or four guys, but it's not a bad thing to do to come back and kind of rediscuss some of those extremes. And they need to ha- that, that discussion needs to happen before draft day. Oh, yeah. Because when you get you to draft day. You can't have this day, in the 10 minutes you're on no, the clock. No, it happens sometimes. It does. I've been in rooms where it's in the first round. In San Diego one year, Dave Wyman and a uh, tight end named Bernstein out of Texas A&M, and we're coming down to the last 10 seconds before our pick, and our GM and head coach are nose-to-nose arguing about who we're going to take. Do you remember who it was over? Uh, Rod Bernstein ended up winning. It was Al Saunders versus Steve Ortmeier, mm-hmm. and uh, Alex Spano stepped in and went with uh, Ortmeier, and then we knew the power shift had gone towards towards Ort in that case. But it, I'd never yeah. seen anything like it. I mean, the clock, you know, if you pa- how about pass the very first pick. Now, this was years and years ago before it became more sophisticated as, as it is like now. But what's so important to having success as an organization is that, that everybody in the room believes you're making the right pick. Everyone's on board. That there's a consensus in the room. That this is the guy that we as an organization, are going to pick. This isn't the coach's guy. This isn't the personnel's guy. This isn't the owner's guy. This is our guy, and you have a plan for success for him. Otherwise, he's likely to fail. And you don't have to agree with it, but you do have to feel like you're exactly right. The room has to feel like, okay, I had my say, and it went against me. You know, they didn't go with my guy or they didn't go with my evaluation. But the one thing you don't want is player or coach going away, well, they're not listening to me, mm-hmm. or I haven't had any input. Then you're starting to create a culture that you don't, you don't want to create. Yeah, but you've got to break some eggs to make an omelet. Right? Oh, no, no, no. There will be oh, so. there's some dog customers. Through the on. month of yeah. April, and March is kind of the, the, well, the month where you're out on the road. We're pretty much there right now. We're right. here. March, we're here. you know, everyone's out on the road going to the personal workouts. And right. then April, you get into those draft meetings, and they will get heated. There will be heated discussion, and everybody will be encouraged to give their opinion. And really, you'd like to walk out of there with no hard feelings. But, uh, you know, like, like I said, what's important is that there's a consensus in the building when you take a guy. If there's not, mm-hmm. then there, the chances of that, that player you pick failing are increased. Yeah, earlier this week, uh, Lombardi, Michael Lombardi, we had him on the podcast. He said that uh, the draft where – uh, with the Browns. Did you hear that? You Before he that burned one? his clothes. He I burned his clothes. <laughs> I he did, he clothes. did you know that? No, I, I never heard that. Right. He, he was so disappointed. With, I guess something Bill Walsh. Or no, 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 no. It was with the Browns. Belichick had, had uh, there was a guy he didn't know about, and something came along the board, and he and it just started a cascading set of the whole draft <laughs> fell apart. He felt so badly about not being able to have the right answer. What did he say? He, he just, burned his clothes. He, he, burned he his said clothes. he gave he his clothes to his wife, and he said, burn them, I don't want to see them. Cleanse himself of Yeah, they passed on sap. They took Michael Dean Barry, That's right. And he said it just cascaded on, and then they, they sort of missed on another guy. The draft went so bad. Yeah. So that's not good. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you've got good people, if you've hired right. the right people in your scouting department, your coaching department, and they're the right type of character individuals and they're bought into your system, then, you know, they understand when, you know, you decide as an organization, as a general manager, head coach, to pick somebody that maybe they don't agree with that pick. You know, they get on board quick. And if they don't, then you really have to think about, is this the kind of guy I want working in my organization? How much did your own personal interview go over where you looked the young man in the eye, both you guys as head coaches sat him down, 
How, how crucial was that? It was that the most crucial component. Uh, you got to be careful with that because some of these kids are pretty slick now. And you know what? I, I don't remember. There's very rarely you get you get 20. I, I think it's the same. You get 20 guys you can bring into your building. Right. And you do it for different reasons. Some maybe you didn't have much contact with others. You want to get another physical on. Maybe there's a medical issue. Um, and you spend substantially more time with them than you do at the combine where you get just the 15 minutes. Um, I, there's very few guys in that process over the years that I did that you just came away and went, you know what, I don't like this guy. I just don't like him. You usually love the kids. How can you not? They're good kids. They're energetic. They want very badly to be there. They've been trained. I mean, they're going to put that best foot forward. Right. I don't know if you get a real honest look at it. I always wanted to be careful in the process we talk about as a head coach. What do you do? you got to be careful, I think, as the head coach to come in and you've looked at film and you love a kid. How do you walk into a room full of your scouts and, and players and go, boy, I really, uh, and, and coach and say, I really love this guy. Right. And then expect one of them to step up and say, no, boss, you're right, wrong. This right. guy's terrible. I tended, I like to listen. Mm-hmm. Ozzie Newsom taught me this. I love to listen. Now, I, lo- I also enjoyed kind of prodding, even if I agreed with you. And you, Rich, you jump up there and, boy, I love this kid and his size. And I may kind of. Even though I agree, I'll go, really? I don't, you know, what do you, I want to see the courage of your conviction. I want to press you a little bit to see how truly, or if I challenge you in a little bit, you kind of, well, yeah, well, you're right, kind of right. If you back off and just go, wait a minute, man, you either, you either believe in what right. you're saying or sure. not. Sure, right. And um, let's start naming some names. I like okay. this. When you, when you start dropping in some names from San Diego, the guy that you're most proud of that you stood up for, you pounded a table for well, it, and he panned out. It, well, it's a guy that we didn't draft, but it was Eric Allen. Remember Eric Allen? Of course, sure. Great corner for the Philadelphia Eagles mm-hmm. and then ended up playing with us in New Orleans, went on to play for the Raiders. Uh, we didn't draft him, but I was, I was like 24 years old, okay? So I was really wet behind the ears. Nobody was going to take my opinion. We were at the East-West Shrine game at, when it was held at Stanford's campus, practices were. And I saw this guy, I said, that guy right there, that guy's going to be an all-pro. And I said, what do you know? You know, you're a kid, you're 24, you don't know anything about scouting. And, right. and uh, you know, even though I didn't get to coach him until later in his career, when he would make those Pro Bowls and all pro teams, I was like, yeah, I, I told you, I saw that guy. Mm-hmm. What about you? You know what, the one, the most prominent one, and it's been well documented, when we took Randy Moss, and the thing I remember most about it, everybody knew Randy Moss was a talented player. Uh, I've never been around a head coach that was a better evaluator of talent than Denny Green. No kidding. I don't know that Denny gets his due in terms of had a great sense of an eye for talent and when they were ready to play. So you're saying he would look at a player and know who he thought they were? And, and, he had and a he, great he, is that, is that, we know. I knew they were. They were. I look at him, and I knew I thought I knew he was. I don't even know. <laughs> he how he is who we thought we he is. That's right. We were picking at, I think, 20 or 21, and Randy was going to go at 7, and he certainly wasn't going to get past Dallas at 10 or 11 or 12. And then, and I remember Denny coming to me about an hour before the draft. He says, look, and we needed defensive guys. We were pretty stacked offensively as it was. And he says, we're going to get Randy Moss. I'm going, you know, and my admiration for Denny was clear cut, but it was like, Coach, you've been smoking dope. There's no way. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm listening to all that. I had totally dismissed. I, was, I wasn't even thinking about the draft. I was in getting my scripts ready for Medicamp. OTAs yeah. <laughs> because I thought there's no way we're going to take an offensive guy because the board was stacked up at linebackers and DBs, which we needed in that level, mm-hmm. and there really wasn't the offensive player. But he says, Brian, I, just, I know it's going to happen. We're going to get – Coach, you're nuts. I'm sorry, but 
So I'm, I'm in the other room, and I'm just kind of watching on the TV, going about my business. And he goes past, uh, and, he, and he went past Dallas. I went, son of a gun. <laughs> so I go to the draft room, watching this whole thing go. And Randy, and then 21st pick, Randy Moss. And then he just looked at me in kind of a wink. I went, ooh, I got some work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many big plays can I come up with, go back to my office and look at all the film I could on whatever just big throw plays? Throw deep when he yeah. puts his hand And up. then you got your hands on him and, and – it was obvious from the get-go? Freakish from day one. I remember the very first time he goes, he runs a go-route. This is in the first OTA. And I'm going to do my coaching thing, mm-hmm. you know, and he's running down and the way just he approached it. So I'm going to go coach him up. And I start down there. I'm going, you can't. No, no, that's, that's okay. Yeah, you can go ahead and do that. That looked like it worked pretty good. It was just a freakish ability to run, jump, hands, the whole thing. And you knew right away, boy, this guy's special. Yeah. I always enjoyed uh, Bill Walsh in the draft room because he was fearless. What was that? Yeah, what was that? Yeah. Like? Oh, he was great. You what know, do you mean by fearless? He, he just he wasn't afraid to Decisive. pull the trigger on a deal to get a guy that he wanted. He, he was always an advocate of if there was a player in the draft that you wanted, that mm-hmm. you coveted, that you thought could come in and make your team a better team and propel you to a championship, then take him no matter where you have to take him. Even if everybody else says he should be picked at this spot and you want to jump up and take him at this spot, do it because he's going to help your team win. And then the other impression that Bill always made on me was if you pick a guy in the first round, you've picked him to be a starter, unless he was a quarterback at that time right. when, you know, we were grooming quarterbacks. And, and he, would, he would make it known from the very first day that this guy is going to start a good example is Andre Carter. Remember Andre Carter sure. that plays for the Redskins? Uh, Andre, our first minicamp, I was the defensive coordinator in San Francisco, and we put him with the second team. And Bill comes into my office after the first practice and says, now, why did you have Andre with the second team? And I said, well, because, you know, we want to make him earn his spot. And he said, look, we picked him with the ninth pick. He's he earned, earned his spot. Yeah, that's it. And that was Bill was just fearless that way. You know, he just believed in getting rid of players before their time had mm-hmm. come. He believed in youth, and he believed in, in being able to just pull the trigger on any trade in the draft that he thought would make his team better. You were his PR guy, right? Yeah, yeah. That I was mean, your first gig in the league? It was. How about that? It's kind of like people like, people bring that up. It's like an old uh, felony charge that you kind of go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no. no. no, no PR, there's nothing wrong with PR. We, um, all, we all need it. I remember our very first pick. So I'm, I'm there in PR with Bill, and we took James Owens from UCLA, yeah. mm-hmm. who was a running back slash wide receiver, uh, or a running back that Bill was convinced would be a wide receiver. Uh, and it didn't work out. We eventually tried moving him to free safety. Didn't work out. Um, and, and, and I know that Bill carried that around a little bit. His first draft choice was an abject failure. But it also happened to be the draft. We picked up a guy named Joe Montana in the third round. He, was, he panned out. He panned out okay. And I will tell you a Joe Montana story. Please do. Because I'm just a PR guy. I'm just there. My job <laughs> is to get coffee and donuts for everybody and stay out of the way, right? Because yeah. this is my first gig in the NFL. Sure. And, um, and everybody, this was one back then, kind of unique for then. Everybody's in the draft room. Everybody. Every scout, every coach, everybody. And Bill wants input in the whole thing. And I've heard since, and again, I got no horse in this race because, trust me, no one was whipping a pencil out of the air going, Brian, what do you think we ought to do here? I'm just <laughs> listening, okay? And I've heard a lot of recounts of how we ended up with Joe Montana and who was his advocate and who was pressing him and how I will tell you this and I will take this belief to my grave. When we took Joe Montana in the third round, we just took a guy. We really did. Mm. The way they had come about him, Sam Weish and Denny Green had gone down to work out James Owens, needed a guy to work him out, happened to be Joe Montana. 
Denny and Sam came back and said, Bill, you know what? And Bill and 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 and, and uh, Sam particularly, who played for Bill, coached with Bill, knew what Bill was looking for, and of course said, Bill, you need to look at this guy. There's something special about him, and uh, and that's what really brought him to the forefront. Um, but then on draft, this is a third round pick. In fact, I remember Bill saying. The kid went to Notre Dame, our owner's Notre Dame. Oh, sure, take the Notre Dame kid. You know, now he said it in a semi-mocking manner, and I don't want to diminish his brilliance in taking a Joe Montana. But it's not like the room erupted knowing, we just took the greatest quarterback of all time. We just took a guy. Yeah, and I'm sure in uh, 2000, when Belichick and with the 199th pick overall, which was Tom Brady. No one, no one was high fiving no. on that hey, one. Too. Brady, uh, we were now. Bill was the 49ers, with us right? The 49ers. I was. Are we going to hear the Giovanni Carmazzi? Yeah, he, we had we had a the local Giovanni Carmazzi <laughs> name about to get dropped. Well, Mooch, I'm sure has told you about this. We had a local workout, mm-hmm. and because Tom Brady was from the Bay Area, he was able to come back and, and participate in our local workout because of the because of the local workout. Exactly was. because of the 50 mile radius. Right, and he was in our area. That just area. created all sorts of craziness with right. the AJ so Green workout. Right. He yeah. flew back from Michigan. He participated in our locals workout, uh-huh. and nobody was like, oh, you know, it was just kind of oh, who's that guy, you know? And even the great Bill Walsh, who could identify quarterbacks pretty well, he, you know, nobody took notice of uh, Tom Brady. It was uh, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Bill was great though. See, Bill. Bill, we were talking earlier about how scouts start to qualify their decisions late in, in the draft process. And Bill would always tell, tell people, I don't want to hear what a guy can't do. Mm-hmm. Just tell me what he can do. How is he going to help our football team? I, I don't want to know about all of the, of the things he doesn't do well. Tell me what he does do well and why we should pick him. And if we can find a role. Yep. I think that in today's parlance is the brilliance of a Bill Belichick mm-hmm. is that they are very specific in knowing a role for a player that might devalue that player in someone else's eyes as to him falling back. But for them, Bill has a very clean sense, I think, of what this guy can do for us. A plan of success. For, the, for every player they take, there's a plan of success for him. There's a clear direction that they're going to take him in to have success with him. Which in flies in the face of the best athlete right. mantra that we hear all the, all the time. Well, you've got to know your system. Yeah, and, he, and but yeah, so many, and so many organizations have so much turnover. There's no system to even right. know. Right. You know that's the problem when you when you're turning things over. Plus, right. there's no there's not a lot of discussion between the head coach and the general manager and the and the guy making the pick unless he's schizophrenic because mm-hmm. it's a it's truly a unified perspective um, that it, it would be hard to utilize that system to its fullest unless you had that one singular omnipotent presence at the top right. that is going to do it all. It's only fair I ask this question since I asked the guy that you're proud of knowing and you were right about, what about a guy that you swore mm-hmm. was going to work and didn't pan out? Oh, that never happened, Rich. <laughs> Not even <laughs> <laughs> You almost went next question on me right Let's there. Let's go with uh, – uh, I'm going to let Brian answer that first. Let me think about that for a minute. Uh, I'll give you a good one. Uh, when I was writing the book, More Than a Game, I thought, and, and, and quantifying the quarterback position mm-hmm. is the hardest of all positions. You just, there's, there's no definitive, we can draft a guy, and by the end of OTAs, you know, because of the speed, the height, the whatever. Quarterback, it could just take years to, before you really realize, look, this guy just can't do it. But one of the guys, if, if, and, they all, and there's a lot of guys in this league that think, well, I know quarterbacks. Yeah, okay, right, pal. I got, I got the numbers that, to convince right. you otherwise. But one of the guys that truly could hold on to that mantle to me is Ron Wolf, mm-hmm. who did a brilliant job in Green Bay in stacking quarterbacks. And I always believed every year I got to take a quarterback. 
because particularly on the back end, if I'm wrong, who cares? But if I hit on a Aaron Brooks, if I hit on a Matt Hasselbeck, if I hit uh, on a Mark Brunel, then all of a sudden I'm getting value. And I was asking him, I said, Ron, you got to tell me the secret now. What, what is it you're looking at? And uh, he says, believe me, <laughs> if I knew, he said, for all the successes we have, yeah, right. I had Peyton Manning above, you know, Ryan Leaf, but I thought Heath Schuler was going to be a perennial Hall of Famer pro bowler. Right. And, and you know, and there's a guy that, that, you know, obviously out of the game that can be self-deprecating that way to say, no matter what the criteria are, if he says, if we'd have had a pick right. and he'd have been available, I'd have taken him and I'd have been wrong. Right. What about you? I'm going to go uh, with a guy that no one will remember, Mike Rumpf. Remember Mike Rumpf? Yeah, played at I Miami. Yeah. He was a safety corner. We took him in the first round at San Francisco. And uh, great kid, hard worker, but just a little bit too high cut. Just missed something. I've kinda, it's kind of one of those situations, like you said, Brian, kind of fell in love with the guy, fell in love with the story, fell in love with the personality, and maybe overlooked some of the physical attributes that he was lacking. What about a guy available in this year's draft that reminds you of somebody that you took a chance on? That uh, Oh, boy. You know what I find? I... How about one of the quarterbacks? You can, well, uh, and it's not fair because we make analogies with all of them. And we were asked to do that, right? Because I just it, asked you to do it. Actually. I know. It, it, I just it, actually it, asked you to you actually know, do guys it. guys in my ears. So you have, the caveat is set. Who you does he really want to do this? But. And the problem is, I will tell you, going back, you, again, this is Bill Walsh concentric. When Bill Walsh made the casual comment mm. about Jake Plummer, reminding him of Joe Montana, right. he just shot like there was a rocket up his butt right up the draft choices because it was, my God, Bill Walsh right. just, you know, made the comparison between Jake Plummer and Joe Montana. When you look at these guys across the board, Blaine Gabbert does remind me a little bit of Matt Ryan. I think in the way that he's carrying himself, the, this body type, I like, I've come to really like Blaine Gabbert. Right. Um, Christian Ponder reminds me a little bit of the uh, guy out of Alabama, Brody Croyle. Now, immediately it goes, okay, so you're killing the guy. Well, no, we thought Brody Crowell was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in the way, you know, what's the euphemism for him right now? Well, he's a West Coast guy. What does that mean? No arm strength. You know, we have these codes. Right. A good cover corner. Well, he won't hit, right? But a West, so Christian Ponder reminds me of Brody Crowell a little bit. I hate to say it, but Ryan Mallett, scarily, has Ryan Leaf written all over him. And it's a scary thing for me. Why do you say and that? And it's not fair to the young man. The maturity level combined with the athletic talent Mm -hmm. and the environment he's coming into, um, it's a little scary. It doesn't mean he can't overcome it. It really doesn't. Uh, But it's a little scary in that regard. Jake Locker, we were talking about it on Total Access, regrettably, and I love the kid. A great young man, but a young man that part of the reason I'm sitting here with you all, um, uh, (laughs) Kyle Bowler. You right. know, a great young man, good athlete, uh, the, the lack of accuracy in this game. There's two things today that, you know, and goes, it's a sliding scale, but the mantras today about quarterbacks, okay, mm-hmm. one, they got to be accurate. If they're inaccurate in college, they're going to be inaccurate in the pros. That doesn't develop. That's kind of the prevailing mentality now. And someone will defy that, obviously. The other is they've got to be that gym rat with a, a what Bill would have called a functional football knowledge. Doesn't mean they have to score high on the wonder lick. They don't have to be able to necessarily articulate, but there has to be a fundamental football functionality, which kind of means he's a gym rat. He loves being in looking at the film. He's a guy that hangs. He's just that kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. Locker is the latter, 
but the accuracy scares me to death. So what about defensively? Somebody like Von Miller, who does he, who does he remind you of? Aaron Curry a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Aaron, who we drafted in the first round a couple of years ago in Seattle, uh, very impactful player. Vaughn's a little bit more active as a, as a pass rusher coming out of college. Right. Aaron really hasn't developed yet. I think he will. But athletically, they're very much the same. You know, mm-hmm. Big, strong, physical, fast guys that had an impact in college. Uh, Aaron had great ball skills. I think Vaughn has a little bit more rush ability. Uh, I think both of those guys eventually will be real successes in the National Football League. It just hasn't happened for Curry yet. Do what you a, have uh, – uh, sure. i got a question. I've turned it. I'm, I'm, I'm full media Go type for it. now, Rich. Go for it. Is I this mean, the, uh, your podcast please. now? No, yeah, it's okay. a Brian Billy podcast. Yeah. No problem. Do no, you no, have no. a school bias? You've been uh, burnt I by do, some uh, players from certain schools. You know what? I, I like guys that come from winning programs. Because I think they, that learn, winning is a kind of a learned trait, you know. And I like guys that have played in front of big crowds. But sometimes you'll find some of your best corners and receivers are guys from small schools that, you know, maybe but people do, miss. Are you school Ryan, specific? You, you strike me as a guy who doesn't ask questions unless you know the answer. I know. Well, look I'm at the look on his face. I, 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 mean, I, I find so. everybody does. Ozzie Newsom and I had very specific. I won't tell you Ozzie's. It's not fair to Ozzie. But I knew if a player came up from this school, right. he had no chance. And which school was that? He was. I, I'm not going to throw Ozzie in there. No, for, for, for you, Tennessee. For me, I will tell you, and I hate to say it because I'm in a UCLA guys. Now, well, I that's because of the this, powder blue. Well, no, no, yeah, this is a guy hey, that man, had. I mean, you got, I mean, I've reached his exceptions to. to uh, but, yeah, but one of the great <laughs> tackles, you know, Irv Eatman. But I, I, I've I had mean, a give rash. me a Miami guy any day, I can say that. Well, and I, I still used to feel say, that I remember way. one time in a practice, and, and uh, we had some lineman going off, and he was a university of. I said, I want somebody from a state university. Forget this university of. You guys can't, you can't, can't perform. I want a guy from a directional school, right. central. Northern, yeah. and I want a state in it because those guys. Are I always like it if it was a Florida state or from the state of of Florida, Miami, Florida State, but, University of Florida. Those you're going to get some athletes out of that area. But I have a bias tough, towards tough guys. receivers from Florida because and why? It's a personal bias. Been burnt enough. How about quarterbacks from Florida? Probably a real bias towards that. Yeah, I mean, just but that's not their fault, mm-hmm. you know. And I and I see UCLA, I had Jonathan Ogden, my God. Right. I mean, the consummate. But I just had a string, and and the two guys, Raheem Moore, and uh, and Ayers, the kid uh, uh, from uh, UCLA. You like the look of these kids? I just remember when I was at Stanford, mm-hmm. and we'd play UCLA, and you'd come out of the locker room, and the, every player coming out of the locker room of UCLA was six five and cut and good, good, clear skin looking kid. And you're thinking, God, we're going to get our butt kicked, and couldn't play a lick. You know, they, it just, I don't know. It's so, my bias. So, so you say that about UCLA. You say Bowler's the reason why you're here. The, the state <laughs> university system of California, it seems you are not very high on. Give me on. a Fresno State guy. <laughs> you Give me a, 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 a David San Carr. Diego State yeah. guy. Carr. You got yeah, David yeah. Carr out of that I, right there. Yeah. You can was, find examples from all. I guess you could. I guess you could. This is fun, guys. we got to do this. Yes, absolutely. Okay. When you, I don't know when you guys are going to be in studio together again, but we'll just fix it up. Yeah. Tell the Coaches dad. Show, presented by Travelers. Yeah, you just did. That's I, right. say that, I say that in my sleep now. I bolt really? up in the middle of the night. Well, uh, from your mouth to the Lord's ears that you will get to say it this September. Yeah, yeah we will. We, we, we will. We need that. We need to be able to have some football. Good to see you, Jim good Moore. Good to see you, Rich. Good to see you, Brian Billick. Very Thank good. You. Thank you both for being on this edition of the podcast. Tell your dad I said hello. We, I will. I, got I, I want to get him I'm going to make on. him watch uh, the King's speech again. You got to. He did. What did he like about it? Ah, you know, he did like it. He did like it. He said Colin Firth. He probably got all the actors and actresses yeah. awards. He nailed those. Colin yeah. Firth, Natalie Portman, 
um, both the supporting actors and actresses from uh, The Fighter. He nailed it. He might have a little thing for Natalie Portman. Uh -huh. I think he might. Well, who, who wouldn't, though? I don't, I, she's a five-tool player, yeah. as, as they say in, in another sport. <laughs> Good to see you guys. All right. That is Brian Billick and Jim Moore. Uh, I'm Rich Eisen for the Rich Eisen Podcast presented by Papa John's. We mentioned that Michael Lombardi story. I love that. He burned his clothes. Maybe he should have just burned them anyway. I didn't really know what he looked like, whatever his clothes were. But uh, Michael Lombardi, my conversation with Jeff Saturday, if you didn't hear that, that was quite a fascinating conversation. And also the comedian Rob Riggle was on another podcast that you could also see right here uh, on uh, this download page here on either NFL.com or on iTunes. Thank you for downloading this edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast. Stay listening, dear friends.